Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Hey, I, I was just mentioning in the last service, I don't get a chance to really stand behind the curtain that often, but uh, I did today since I'm preaching, and you guys sounded really good back there. A good choir, as Josh said. So, so welcome. It's good to see everybody back in the house of the Lord after a great outdoor worship. I don't know if, if most of you had a chance to come down to Asotan and do our baptismal service with child dedication and the barbecue and, and all of that, but that was a great time. So we should all have a new appreciation for the air conditioning here today, I think, because it was warm out there. It's probably hotter, hotter this time around too. So, but this is fantastic. So I hope you were able to join us last week and you enjoyed the time connecting with, uh, with other people out there, connecting with the Lord, maybe in a little bit different uh, setting, uh, but we had a great time. I thought it was a fantastic event to, um, for all of our families, most importantly to to have those 16 child dedications, and we had 16 baptisms. Uh, praise God. There was a, even one person that, uh, yep, there was even one person that gave their life to Jesus that day too. So good times, good times. So we are very encouraged by what God's doing and to see what God is, how, how much God is growing our church. It's, it's a good summer. It's been a good summer. So I just want to say another thank you to all of our volunteers that helped with the setup and the serving and the takedown for the event. Uh, it was great to all have all of you guys helping. That's, that type of an event is a, is a big thing because it's, we're moving stuff from here to there. It's all got to be organized and set up. So those that helped and uh, got the blue volunteer t-shirt, thank you very much. That was a good time. Uh, and thank you to the uh, cooking crew. I don't know if you knew this, but we had the, there was four or five guys back in the back on the barbecues. They were from the Bridge Dinner Church, which is run by River City Church. Uh, they came out and they cooked the burgers and the dogs for us. And then we just had a few people that were serving. Uh, and then after we served lunch, uh, we were able to, we donated our excess food to the Bridge Dinner Church over there on Bridge Street. So they were very appreciative to have that addition for their summer menu too. So, good times. So, last week was a great weekend to share God's goodness and provision. Now, this has been an extremely busy month, not just that event. There's other things going on here, too, in the month of July. Uh, we had the Vacation Bible School uh, a couple weeks back, and then right after that, we had our youth camp, and then both of those were on-site right here on OCC campus, and then, of course, the all-church worship service, which was off-site. So, your OCC staff has been busier than a bunch of long-tailed cats in a room full of rocking chairs. I got it out that time. That's a mouthful. So a few of them, the point being, a few of the guys took some time off, went to baseball tournaments, uh, or started much-needed vacations. So you may not see Wesley here today, <clears throat> or Brenton, um, but uh, so be, we want to be in prayer for them as they take their rest time, and we want to say another thank you to Josh Clare for filling in and leading our worship today. That was great. So let's take a few minutes and ask God's blessing on our service today. Father God, we just, uh, we, we thank you. We thank you for all that you're doing in our church to 
uh, grow our church, to uh, enable us to, to reach out to other people. Uh, we thank you for the ability that you've given us to do these type of outdoor events with river baptism and dedications and baptism and, uh, and, and the facilities that we have, both here on campus and the ability to go out to other locations and, uh, and put on a, uh, a good worship service that uh, glorifies you. So I ask that, uh, that uh, my words be through you, that, uh, that you would guide me and uh, make hearts receptive to hear what you have to say to us today. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So a while back, I heard a story that, that many of us can relate to. A friend of mine had come back from a conference out of state, and he was sharing just how fearful he is of flying across country. But he does. He does travel by necessity, and it's usually on commercial flights. So after a particular flight, he chanced to be sitting by a pilot in uniform. And they had a nice conversation, kind of break the ice a little bit about, you know, talking about the topics of the day, and they talked a little bit about themselves. And then they just, they settled into their seats for the flight to the next destination. So along the way, the flight begins to experience some turbulence. So most of you have experienced this before if you've done much flying. Flying. First you get that violent jump or up or down and then you get the side to side depending on how bad it is and swaying back and forth. And in this area, I'm told that it's, it's the thermals that come off of the, the farmland out there. I don't know. Greg knows more about that. <laughs> so, but my friend, he's convinced that the plane is going down and, and they're all going to die. So he starts praying. He says, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, don't let us die on this plane. And of course, he's very animated when he tells this story because he, he is, he's frightened. But it's interesting to watch him when he tells the story in his own way. About this time, though, he looks at the pilot sitting next to him and the pilot is asleep. So here's my friend. He's working himself up into a lather about to have a coronary and the pilot right beside him is asleep without a care in a world. And he's like, what's up with that? Then it occurs to him that this is an experienced pilot with thousands of hours of flying under his belt and the turbulence doesn't bother him. He trusts that the pilot is in control of the aircraft. He's seen and he's done all of this, this before, so he doesn't really give it a second thought. My friend, on the other hand, is an occasional flyer and he doesn't understand what's happening at all. He's convinced the plane is going down any minute and a fiery ball of metal fuel and flesh and crashing into the ground. But the gist of the story is this. When we know God's voice, we learn from experience to lean on, on our God who created us. He never changes and he's always for us. So periodically, we can take our eyes off the problem and put our eyes on the Prince of Peace. Amen? Today we're going to see this as we watch Peter in the early stages, the early growth stages of the church. How he kept his eyes on Jesus and he followed his model of leaning into God's power to get people's attention and become believers in Christ. Now it's been a couple weeks since we've gone through the book of Acts together. So I thought it'd be a good idea just to remind ourselves where we were so that we know where we're going. The book of Acts is a narrative history with several sermons. We've heard already that Luke is a doctor. He's a Gentile. He wrote this book circa 60 to 62 AD as a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And we know this book simply by Acts 
but it was known by other titles throughout church history. Titles like the, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, these other titles, they're a little more explanatory, but they're very fitting names because of Luke's intention, it seems, was to emphasize the works of Jesus' apostles through the work and power of the Holy Spirit. Luke wrote the book of Acts to record how believers were empowered by the Holy Spirit, how they worked to spread the, the gospel of Christ, and how they're a model for the future church. That would be us. So keep this point in the back of your mind as we talk about this call to live a life plugged into God. So let's open our Bibles and jump into our text today, beginning in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Or you can follow along in your sermon notes or on the big screen. Verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints to live at Lydda. This would mean God's people. This is the fellow believers in the area. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Wow. Just, just think about that for a minute. He's eight years. He's lying in his bed paralyzed. Very little muscle tone, if any not being able to attend to his own toileting and personal hygiene, and immediately he is up rolling up his own bed mat. Healed in Jesus' name. Praise God. Verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now you can see that Aeneas is actually walking around town. He's talking to people, and they're becoming believers in God. God used Aeneas to demonstrate his power to people who did not know him. The miraculous healing of Aeneas experienced also it validated for the townspeople Peter's claim to be an apostle. Verse 36. Now in Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, she was full of good works and acts of charity. So this is a woman of character. Uh, also, she was a believer in, in Jesus. In those days, she became ill and she died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come with us without delay. So this is probably a day's journey both to and from these towns to get Peter and then bring him back to Tabitha. So for two days at least, minimum, the body lay in an upper room. So I immediately, my thought goes to the story about Lazarus. And if you remember there, that smell of that dead body after a few days, and it took Jesus a while to get there, probably very similar to that. She's in the upper room there. So in verse 39, Peter rose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took it to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put all of them outside and then knelt and prayed. And then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Just as Jesus did these things in Mark chapter 5. 
Peter is also following that model of Jesus while in Lydda and Joppa. In verse 41, he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Again, the result of this event was the spread of the gospel message. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So if you don't know what that means, Simon was the tanner. So he lives in a house by the sea, which sounds kind of nice by itself. But the reason that he's away from town, because he's tanning animal hides. And that makes a terrible stench. So, which also separates Simon from the other Jews because their tradition, in their tradition, he's unclean now. So Peter is already making a move to be more inclusive with other people simply by staying with Simon in his house there while he's in Joppa. So this week's text marks the transition in Luke's narrative where he ends one section and he begins another. And he does this several times in Acts by summarizing how the Jesus movement was spreading like wildfire. He writes in the preceding verse, which we hadn't got to, but you heard last time uh, James had, had preached. In verse 31, it says, Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers, living in fear of the Lord. So Luke then pivots from Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 to Peter's conversion in the house of Simon the Tanner, upcoming in chapter 10 and 11. So this is not the last time that we're going to hear about Simon the Tanner. Now that Saul is a Jesus follower, and he's no longer prosecuting the church, Peter's traveling. He's building up the new believers, and he's preaching to those that haven't heard. He finds himself in Lydda. He heals a man named Danaeus, who's been bedridden for eight years with paralysis. This healing, credited to the power of Christ, is instantaneous. It's immediate. As a result, the people in the town and the plain north of Lydda, between the mountains and the sea, they all become followers of Christ. Then if that weren't enough, Peter is then called to Joppa to see Tabitha, who's fallen ill, and now she's died. So Tabitha's rising up from the dead became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is obviously an even more significant miracle than the previous one, for for Tabitha raises, or Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. Of course, the result of this event was the spread of the gospel message, as with the previous miracle. The note that many believed in the Lord does indicate, even though Luke doesn't mention Peter's miracle was done in Jesus' name, but these activities were done through Jesus' power and led to the belief in the Lord. And these accounts are amazing. Not only the miraculous healings, but also the spread of faith in Jesus throughout the area. So when we stop and think about it, would that happen in our world today? Can Christ change lives through our faith that we can do all things through him? In your sermon notes, you'll find some suggestions I I believe will work for us. The first being, lives change when we take action. 
If you look back in verse 32, to find that Peter is traveling here and there. He's traveling around the country. He went to visit the saints, the Lord's people, the believers in Lydda. That's how he found Aeneas. Peter was out visiting people, and he's talking about the gospel message. Shortly after that, when the two men came asking Peter to please come with us at once without delay to Joppa, he went. You could call this the snowball effect. You know, you start with a small ball of snow and then you roll it and it gets bigger and bigger. Same thing here. When Peter started working, things started to snowball and grow in size. He arrived in town and he healed Aeneas. People heard about it and turned to Jesus. And then in the next town, Tabitha's friends heard about it and sent two men to bring Peter back. He arrives in town, raises Tabitha up to her second life, and many people believed in Jesus and the church grew more again. So we could see that snowball growing in size as more people get involved and turn to Jesus. Some of you know in my previous career, I helped people with insurance and investments. Large part of this is getting together with people and showing them how to achieve their financial goals. So for 38 years through various changing financial landscapes, the level of activity I and my office kept determined the level of our success. The same is true in most things. To be successful, there's usually a range of specific activities that need to be done consistently at a high level. Once started, a high level of activity makes it easier to absorb the bumps and the bruises and the course changes that inevitably come along. I can tell you from experience that a body in motion tends to stay in motion. Thank you, Sir Isaac Newton. <laughs> but we're here for the very purpose that which Peter was in, in Lydda and then Joppa, to carry on and copy the healing and the quickening work of Christ by his present power and after his blessed example. To do this work, we need fuel to power us, and we need to stay in God's will. Which brings us to our next point. Lives change when we know God's voice. Both the miracles Peter performed in today's passages are similar to the miracles that Jesus performed while Peter was right next to him as a disciple. The healing of Aeneas was similar to Jesus' healing of the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, verse 11. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the raising of Tabitha to life was similar to Jesus' raising of Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, verses 40 and 41. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those that are with him, and went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, rise. So we're seeing the Apostle Peter has been able to perform miracles just as Jesus had, using the power of his name. We don't have the benefit of physically walking alongside Jesus today, but in our hearts and our minds, we have the benefit of the Apostle's work displayed in our Bibles. Your Bible gives you that instructions about how to pray and how to hear God's voice through his word and how to stay in the will of God. So daily, we should be studying God's word and praying for his guidance so that we may have his leading and give him the glory in our lives. The principle that underlies these miracles is just this. Get near to Jesus Christ and you'll catch his manner. 
dwell in fellowship with him. And whether you're thinking about it or not, there will come some faint resemblance to the Lord in your character and your way of doing things so that others will see and understand that you have been with Jesus. It's impossible to trust Christ, to obey Christ, to hold communion with him, and to live beside him without being like him, without becoming like him. So when this is our inward experience, so will it be our outward appearance, and that's what we strive for. Now, how do we take that gospel message to the world around us? In point number three, we read that the lives change when we are relationally connected. In our scripture, we read that many in the region turned and believed in Jesus because of the miracles Peter was performing. In our world today, we see communication, spreading ideas and concepts through social media and news outlets in both positive and negative fashions. So recently, you may have read about the 11-year-old boy in Texas who's on the autism spectrum, and he was being ostracized and bullied by the neighborhood kids. So this boy, Shaden Walker, he goes to a neighbor's house and asks 23-year-old Brennan Ray uh, if he knew any kids around his age because he needed some friends, like, really bad. This prompted Ray and his wife, Angel, to post a TikTok video online hoping to connect with Shaden's family And they also started a GoFundMe page for them. And in the end, the page raised over $37,000, and Shaden's mom had to request that it be shut down before even 30 hours had gone by because she didn't want other people spending all of their hard-earned money on the Walker family. As a result of this, Shaden ended up making friends all over the world, including in Hawaii and China and Australia and England. So this story obviously has some good things and some bad things about it. I hate it when, when disadvantaged kids are bullied. And most of the time, I don't care for social media either. However, it makes the point that changed lives happen when we're relationally connected. And isn't that the point today? It seems Aeneas was, was both known as a paralyzed believer and the healed believer. Many of those healed in the New Testament uh, don't even have their names mentioned. So using his, his name may have simply be, been because many of Luke's original readers knew who Aeneas was. And then word of his healing spread like wildfire. In verse 35, and it says, And all the residents of Lydda in Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Aeneas' story reminds us that no one's too insignificant to be used in a mighty way by God. Aeneas may have lain on his mat for eight years believing he could do nothing for the Lord. But God chose him to be the catalyst for bringing the whole region to faith in Christ. So if God could use a paralyzed man like Aeneas to accomplish much, he can use each of us too. Now let's turn our attention to Tabitha in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and good charity and acts of charity. It doesn't say exactly what Tabitha did for the poor beyond clothing them, but she definitely made caring a habit. And over time, she became very well known and respected for this. 
So it's easy to start measuring what we do in terms of large or small. But if we're consistent to reach out with others with a heart for ministry, God will increase the influence of anything that we do. Tabitha was called a disciple, which means she was enthusiastic about following the teachings of Jesus. She knew that he called people to give, to care, and to provide where they could. So we don't have to wait until we're rich or, or if we have it all together to start reaching out. God will use us right where we're at. We're created to be relationally connected and people's lives are made better because of it when we do it right. This past week, we had some people come and ask for connection to the church body after the baptism service last Sunday. A couple of guys admitted to me that they're, they're struggling with stuff in their life and, and dealing it by themselves dealing with it by themselves, it it wasn't working. They know that they need to be with other guys. They need to be mentored into better men and fathers and husbands. So we prayed together. Eric happened to be walking by. I grabbed Eric. We prayed together. Almost made me late for going down at the river to baptize. But it's those important things that you have to take time to do. Fortunately, we have this network in place at OCC to where they can get plugged into other men through Bible studies and other activities that are geared to men. Like the outdoor games event just last night, Saturday night, that Scott Aspen and the men's ministry put together. So if you didn't make it to this outdoor games night with the men's ministry, plan on catching the one in August because they're going to do it again. So we want to be here for these folks that need to know the next steps in following Jesus to pray with them and to walk alongside them and then just do life together. You probably all heard about the saying, we're better together. You may have even heard James say this before. But what it simply means that when other people are in our lives, we'll thrive. And that's really all we, what we all want, isn't it? And that's what God wants for us too. Moving to point four. Lives change when we use our gifts. We learn five lessons from the life and the death and the restoration of Tabitha's life. One, use the gifts that you've been given to help others. Stay faithful in doing good for others. Build relationships that will have a lasting impact on others. Make service and ministry toward others a priority. And let God use you to witness to others. This marvelous gift of her served two purposes in that moment. First, to display God's passion. In verse 38, when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Secondly, to display God's glory. In verses 41 and 42, then he, Peter, called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her her, Tabitha, to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So at this stage in Peter's life, he does have a sense of urgency and immediacy. He's persistent and he's disciplined in following the Spirit's leading to the next big thing. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. Peter goes from a a pretty major healing in Aeneas, then on to the amazing resurrection of Tabitha. And I'll say this again, when the people saw, many turned and believed in the Lord. 
Do you believe that through the power of Jesus that Peter could heal the paralyzed Aeneas and raise the deceased Tabitha? Peter did. The same Peter that Peter that denied Christ three times. He did these miracles in the name of Jesus, who did the original miracles to show the power of God. He walked in the steps of Jesus. I'll tell you a story about a guy I met a few years ago at a, at a business conference. He, he was the, the platform speaker. I don't know that he's a Christ follower, but he certainly has a story of overcoming the odds. And listening to his story and watching his video clips and reading his book has made me a fan of mountain climbing documentaries and the courage they inspire. So Eric W. is an extraordinary individual. He's an adventurer, he's a world-class athlete, he's a skydiver, he's a long-distance biker and a marathon runner, he's a skier, he's a mountaineer, and he's a rock climber. Fellow mountaineer and author John Krakauer says this of Eric, I've been taking note of your remarkable career for a couple years now. To say that I'm impressed would be an understatement. As a climber who has all too frequently felt my forearms turn to mush, on steep fountain formation sandstone while I desperately try to find a decent hold or coax a recalcitrant cam into a flaring crack. I have a clear sense of what it would be like in that situation without being able to see what I was doing. I would insist on taking the sharp end on a steep technical rock is impossible for a blind guy had you not repeatedly demonstrated that it is indeed possible. Wait a minute. Did you just say a blind guy? Mountain climber. So on their own, Eric's, all of Eric's exploits as a mountain climber would be sufficient for an exciting book and maybe a movie, but there's an additional element. Eric is blind. So he's, he's born with a degenerative eye disorder that would leave him blind by the age of 13. But Eric is determined to rise above that devastating disability and to lead a fulfilling and exciting life. So in his talk and his book titled Touch the Top of the World, A Blind Man's Journey to Climb Farther Than the Eye Can See, he tells the story of his dream to climb the world's highest seven summits and how he turned that dream into an astonishing reality, something fewer than 100 mountaineers have done. From the snow-capped summits of McKinley, now called Denali, to the towering peak of Kilimanjaro, to the ultimate challenge, Mount Everest, this is a story about daring to dream in the face of impossible odds. What I learned from seeing and listening to, to Eric and watching him on stage, as accomplished as he is, he cannot do these things alone. He needs someone to guide him and show him the way so he can follow in their footsteps. And I've seen pictures of this. He's literally following in the footsteps of the climber ahead of him in the deep snow, putting his feet exactly where they are, following the rope that they set for him as he goes to the top of Mount Everest. So this is somewhat like us. When we partner with Jesus, we need that guide. We need to follow Jesus' model. Occasionally, we need to get out of our head and out of our comfort zone and push ourselves to strive for the excellence that Christ calls us to. This is when the miracles happen, and that's what Peter found out. 
Perhaps you too can see Peter as an example of following Jesus. Can you see that he did not do these miracles in his own power, but in the name of Jesus? Can you see that our purpose in our own community here is to display God's power and God's passion for the lost? We have a chance to lead others to know God better through how we go about our day, each day, especially the, te- the difficult days. Be an example of agape love in your community. Be alert for practical needs that you can help meet. Be aware of prayer needs and faithfully lift them up. And be ready to share your personal testimony. We get the opportunity to help grow God's church when we're plugged in. And the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. When we're active in his name, we're following his voice, we're relationally connected, and we're using our gifts. God is so gracious and patient with us as we learn and grow. We just need to do our part in helping to spread his gospel message to the world. With the recent outreach events in our church this summer, you may have the feeling that now's the time to, to recommit your life to the Lord, to get serious about being the man or the woman that God's calling you to be. So I'd ask you, if that's the case, please take a few minutes and do that right now. If you're not a Christ follower and you want to commit your life to Jesus today as a new believer, please come up front to us or go to the cross in the back. We have people there who can pray for you and and help you to take the next steps. I'll leave you with this quote from Henry Van Dyke. Time is too slow for those who wait, too swift for those who fear, too long for those who grieve, too short for those who rejoice. But for those who love, time is eternity. God bless you guys. We love all of you. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we, we just come to you in, in, um, in worship today. We want to glorify your name. We ask that you would just please imprint these words on our heart and the, the meaning of what, what you're having me to communicate from you just to be in your will and follow your model and just to get out of ourselves and do the work that you ask us to do for you right here. So we ask for courage and direction for those things this week. Give us those. Give us this protection that we need to go about our daily lives and at work and at home. And we ask your blessing on this church. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.